Hi, everybody, and welcome to Under the Radar. I'm your host, Frank Fear. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out uh, to my colleagues at LA Progressive. It's a wonderful daily newsletter produced by colleagues in Los Angeles. And if you have progressive leanings or would like to stay up on progressive news and views, I recommend it to you heartily. You can get it free of charge by going to LA Progressive, one word, laprogressive.com. And if you do, you won't regret it. Well, today we're going to talk about a person whose name is in the news a lot these days, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's going to be sort of a twist, though. We're not going to talk a lot about Dr. Fauci, but we're going to use Fauci as a frame of reference for talking about a connection that I think a very important connection that Fauci has with a man who worked over a century ago. Uh, there are a lot of similarities, I think, between these two. And to put it in perspective, let's start by talking about what Fauci did last night. I'm recording this on Friday, and on Thursday, uh, Dr. Fauci was invited to throw out the first baseball of the 2020 baseball season in Washington. And you can't do that. You're not invited to do that unless you're a hit with the public. Uh, and both the invitation and reputation really fit Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's a name that's so recognizable that you don't need to do anything other than just say his name. Fauci is a modern-day St. Anthony to liberal and progressive America. He's quite something else, entirely different to those who reside on the political right. And both outcomes are due to the testy relationship, if you can call it that, that Dr. Fauci has with the President of the United States, Donald Trump. If we think about that, I want you to think about something else. And it happens to me all the time. Every time I think something is new, that I haven't seen it before, I typically learn in short order that it is not. Sure, the characters change, the names change, and the plot twists aren't the same, but there's thematic similarity. So today's back and forth about public health in the face of a pandemic compares, I think, to what happened over a century ago. The focus back then was on government inaction to secure and ensure food safety. So, Dr. Anthony Fauci, I'd like you to meet Dr. Wiley, Dr. Harvey Washington Wiley, that is. He was a government scientist who took on America's food industry and also its political backers in the White House and in the Congress. And guess what? Wiley won. And make no mistake about this. What Wiley faced a century ago was no less problematic for America's health than what Fauci is experiencing today. Every time we open a can, sit down for dinner, even enjoy a glass of milk, we should thank Dr. Wiley for what he did and what he enabled for food safety. Yes, the food safety system in America today is far from perfect, but at least it's a system that system didn't exist before Wiley helped to change the landscape. So let's go back in time to figure out why it was the way it was back then. In the late 19th century, America was transitioning, actually transforming, 
from an agrarian society to an industrial giant. And as more and more people move from farms and small towns to live in cities and work in the factories, food purchased from industry replaced food that people grew for themselves and or bought locally. It was an era of lax policies and laws, including no laws at all. The watchwords of the day were eater beware. You couldn't trust what you ate, assuming you knew what it was, even though it was clearly identified on the label. You didn't know where it came from or how it was produced. And even if you knew all of those answers, questions really, and you had the answers, food safety was still a toss-up, a toss-up. Writing in Forms magazine, Jane Levere put it this way, and I quote, In this pre-refrigeration world, meatpacking and canning companies sought ways to keep their products fresh at the lowest possible cost. And so regularly processed products included untested chemical preservatives. Then she goes on to write just about what pertained to milk products and some of the things that applied to milk products. Quote, milk was diluted with water and then sometimes whitened with plaster of Paris or chalk to get rid of its bluish tint. Formaldehyde was often added to sweeten the taste of souring milk, while pureed calf brains, believe it or not, could be used to mimic the cream on top. President Teddy Roosevelt became aware of the problem firsthand during his field experience with the troops in the Spanish-American War. Soldiers often found a surprise when they opened their rations. That experience was depicted in a very popular cartoon of the day in 1906, with a soldier holding his nose while grasping an open can in an extended, extended hand. The can was labeled embalmed meat. But despite having a national problem that was readily apparent, nothing major was being done about it. The challenge was clear. Without rules, regulations, and public agencies to serve as watchdogs, no counterweight existed to protect the public from unscrupulous food producers. Consumers needed to eat, of course, but the price of food cost more than dollars. For the public, it was a draconian bargain. Enter Dr. Wiley, whose government position was chief chemist in the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Long concerned about food safety, he spoke out and wrote extensively about what he considered to be an unacceptable situation. Then, in 1902, Wiley made headlines when he began a human subject study. In his research, he recruited 12 volunteer med, men, fed them a diet exclusively of quote-unquote stuff he found off the shelf, food in other words, and monitored their health status. You can imagine what he found. The group became known as the Poison Squad, so named because the food they ate included a variety of chemicals used by manufacturers to process and preserve food. What chemicals? Borax, arsenic, lead, and others. Producers used those additives to keep food fresh and to make manufactured products look and taste like the real thing like butter and green beans. 
Wiley's study was one of the numerous things he did to bring food safety to the public's attention. Over time, he became a master of public relations, realizing that science, as vital as it is, wasn't enough. The public needed to be educated, they needed to be engaged, and rather than delegate that work to others, Wiley did it himself. So over time, he became a credible and trusted source with the public, just like Anthony Fauci, and just like Fauci, he began butting heads with bosses in his own agency and those on Capitol Hill, including from time to time with the president. But none of that deterred Wiley from persisting, and thankfully he wasn't a lone wolf. Published in 1906, Upton Sinclair's famous book, it became famous, The Jungle, unmasked unsanitary conditions in the meatpacking industry. Other investigative reporting told a similar tale, such as the production of what was called swill milk. Swill milk is milk that has been adulterated with leftover mash from distilleries, and it resulted in the deaths of thousands of infants. But naming problems was different from resolving those problems. Public policy was required, and that's where progress hit the wall. As happens in social change, it takes time to make significant progress. And in this case, the big reason was the food industry itself. It was a formidable foe. It lobbied long and hard to keep food safety laws from becoming reality. And in fact, Dr. Wiley became an enemy. Thankfully, a chorus of supporters made the difference, including some in Congress. For example, during one congressional floor debate, Representative James Mann of Illinois described fruit that he had come in contact with and how it had been processed with poisonous dye. So finally, in 1906, Congress passed the, few, the Pure Food and Drug Act. That act established the Food and Drug Administration, the same agency we know today, the FDA, and Dr. Wiley was appointed its first commissioner. But it would take years of continued pushing and prodding to bring greater assurance to the public that food safety was indeed a national priority. A critical step came in 1938 when Congress passed the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. That's an act which gave FDA greater authority to play its oversight role. Unfortunately, Dr. Wiley didn't live to see that day. That day, He had died earlier in the decade. And well before that, he had retired from government service. He retired decades before, worn down by years of defending his work in his own agency and fending off antagonistic elected officials and industry officials who just wanted him to go away. He wasn't done, though. In 1912, Wiley became a director at Good Housekeeping, an organization with a history of product testing. There, Wiley was able to connect his primary passions and interests, food science, food safety, and public education, and he was able to do it in a supportive environment. The Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval, which was established in 1909, was a very important platform for serving the public good and enabling Dr. Wiley to continue his work. 
For those who believe that Dr. Fauci faces a unique set of challenges today, he doesn't. They're challenges, of course, but they aren't unique. And there's every reason to believe something else. Just as Fauci succeeded Wiley, there's a very good chance that Fauci himself will have a successor too. What else can you expect when big money and big-time politics are involved? But rather than focus on what may or may not happen in the future, let's take heart in what already has. And I'll bet that if Dr. Wiley were alive today, he'd go up to Dr. Fauci, extend his hand, and say, Good job, Tony. You've been listening to Under the Radar with host Frank Fear. I hope our paths will cross again very, very soon.